Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. My name is Ryan Coggins. I'm one of the staff pastors here at Life Church. Could we just give all of our guests just a big, warm Life Church welcome today? If, if you are a first time guest, we just want to say welcome to Life Church. We hope that you enjoyed today's service. And Pastor Aaron is actually in Europe right now. He was uh, in Ireland for a time and now is in London with some other pastors that are doing some mission stuff there that you're going to hear all about when he gets back, I'm sure. Uh, but I have the opportunity to speak today and I'm, I'm excited for that. I hope. Uh, this is kind of like the last weekend in summer for me, kind of. I know it's not technically, but, you know, school's starting back up. It's the last weekend in August, and so it's nice to have uh, some nice weather. It's been kind of a warm summer. I hope you had time to get out and enjoy uh, the summer weather this year. And uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, me and my daughter May and my dog Moses, we were outside just enjoying the afternoon and um, we were outside, and, and best $4 purchase I ever made was a sprinkler, because May loves it, you know, and so we just hooked that up, let that, it's just doing its thing, and, and she's kind of running through it, kind of timid about it, but she runs through it and screams, and she just carries on, has a good time. So she's kind of doing that off to the side. Uh, me and Moses, we're playing fetch, because anytime we're outside, he has to play Fetch. He will find something. He'll run into the garage. I don't know where he comes up with all these tennis balls, but he, uh, you know, he'll find a tennis ball. He'll bring it to me, and we'll just begin to play fetch. So this is all going on in the backyard, just having a good time. And there's a kiddie pool set up that Moses will run and jump into, and May thinks it's just funny. She'll laugh hysterically for like a minute, and and so that's all going on, kind of a chaotic uh, afternoon in the backyard, but just having a good time. And and I throw a ball. And it goes into our garden, and Moses can't find it at all. So he's digging around, trying to find it, and, and, and I can see it from where I am, though. So I'm like, it's right there. You can't, I'm just pointing, and he, he doesn't get it. He can't see it or whatever. And so I go over to the garden and, you know, point it out. I, I give it to him or whatever, and then I, you know, throw it again, and we continue our game. Well, in the meantime, while I'm going to the garden, um, I, I get the ball, I look up, and May is gone. I mean, she is, I, I probably saw her last like maybe eight seconds ago. So, but now she is gone. I don't think, she can't get anywhere too quickly. So I'm like trying to figure out where in the world did she go? And we live by, there, there's a grocery store close by and the parking lot's right there. And there's trucks that are driving through. So I'm checking that out, making sure she didn't go somewhere over there. And then uh, I'm calling out her name, you know, where, where yet? I look behind some, some trees. I don't see her anywhere, and, and I'm starting to get, I don't know if you as a parent has, have ever experienced this, but you start, to, you start to get a little panicked. You're like, okay, this, she, I don't see her anywhere. And so I run to the side of the house and kind of look along the side. I don't see her there anywhere. I run. At that point, I'm like running frantically. I go to the front yard. I'm yelling, May. I look like a crazy person. I'm just yelling. I'm like, May, May. you know, I, I look towards the, 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 the street. Don't see her there anywhere. I don't see her on the driveway. I don't see her in the front yard. All of this is taking place within about 30 seconds, by the way. It's pretty just, just, chaotic. It felt, like, it felt like about an hour to me, but I uh, look in the garage. She's not in there. I poke my head inside. May, or Amanda and Ben are inside, and I just say, hey, uh, Amanda, did May come in inside? And she's like, no. Why? Where is she? She's not with you? I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's okay. 
I just, I was just curious, like I'm trying to pass it off like it's no big deal or, or whatever. I'm like, I, no, I got her. I just, uh, I just was curious if she may, maybe went inside, had to go to the bathroom or something like that. And so um, I, I come back outside. I'm freaking out a little bit. And out of the corner, I come around the corner of our house and out of the corner of my eye, I see two bright blonde pigtails poking out from behind a bush in my neighbor's landscaping area and it was just like I don't know right when you when you find a kid that even if you've been missing them for like 45 seconds that feeling of just like oh, take a deep breath and then and then you're you're like I don't know if I should be excited or mad or you know how do I react to this so I go up to May and she's two years old she doesn't you know she's just she didn't know any better, really. But then we had a good conversation about, hey, you can't go. If you can't see daddy, daddy can't see you. You can't go that, that way. And she's like, well, there was a flower in, in the neighbor's landscaping. That's why she wandered off this purple flower, and she was asking me if she could pick it. And I'm like, no, no, no. You got you to leave that alone. That's not ours. That's the neighbor's. But as a parent, that feeling of losing somebody. Now, I've lost things before. I've lost watches. I've lost gift cards, which is really cool when you find those. I lost one for like two years, found it. It was like, this is all, you know, I lost a wallet one time and found it. it had like 20 bucks in it, and I was all excited. I was like, yeah, that's cool, or whatever. But um, you lose something like that. But when you lose a kid, it is like a completely different feeling altogether. It's not a feeling of frustration. It's a feeling of panic and anxiety and and nervousness and being scared and trying to, you know, uh, we live in a day and age where anything can happen. And so I'm I'm very alert to that. And so uh, you better believe I'm keeping my eye a little bit closer on May at all times now. But um, that feeling that I had that day, and and I read in in scripture in Luke chapter 15, we're going to get there in just a minute. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get ready, open up to Luke chapter 15. There's a story of Jesus that Jesus tells about uh, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And we're not going to go through all three of those stories today. We're just going to go through the first one, the story of the, the parable of the lost sheep. A parable is something that Jesus would teach in often. They were just stories that had a meaning. And so uh, he would often tell the story, and, and, and then he's trying to drive home a point um, by telling this story. And so the parable of the lost sheep, Luke chapter 15 Starting in verse 1, we're going to go ahead and read. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be here on the screen. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, this is a common parable, a story that many of you have probably heard before, maybe not, but um, it's one that I learned growing up. I heard about growing up, the story of the lost sheep and the significance it had. But to me, it's a story that... it has, I've heard many different angles on it. I've heard many different perspectives. I've heard many different teachings on it. And there's a lot of theological significance to what's going on in this parable. But I want to just real simply, I want to tell you some things that I observe from this parable 
Um, and, and then I kind of want to wrap things up by just talking about what do we do with this parable? How do I apply this to my life? Because that's really what it's about. It's not just hearing the word, it's hearing the word and doing what it says. So how do I apply this word to my life? But the first observation out of this parable is simply, and it's even before the parable is, is said, is sinners were attracted to Jesus. People who are far from God, sinners, whatever you want to call them. And here in this scripture, it calls them sinners. But people who are far from God were attracted to Jesus, genuinely attracted to Jesus. And I'm not just talking about, I know that we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And so every one of us could be considered in this sinners category. I'm talking about people who don't have a relationship with God, people who are far from God. And this, in this parable, um, before, before Jesus kind of uh, goes into it, it sets it up by saying, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. And the Pharisees are sitting there. They're, they're people who are re- very religious kind of lawmaking type of um, legalistic people. And they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And I, I, can, I can hear the tone in their voice almost of how they're actually saying this. I don't think they're just like, oh, that's cool. Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors and he's you know, just having a good time with them. I don't think it was that kind of tone. I think it was very derogatory, like, oh my goodness. Can you believe that the son of God is lowering himself to eat with people that don't even love God, that don't even care about anything, that are corrupt individuals. You see, tax collectors in this day and age were very corrupt individuals, and that was known across the board. The people, you know, the Pharisees would look at that, and what a tax collector would actually do is, you know, the king might say, okay, 50% of everyone's income is going to be taxed. You know, I want 50% of everyone's income. And so a tax collector would go door to door and say, okay, I'm here to collect your tax, but they wouldn't say 50%. They'd say more like, for instance, 70%. They'd say 70% uh, of what you made, I, I'm going to take. I need that. And that's what the king is demanding. And they'd take the 20% for themselves, and then they'd give the 50% to the king. This was something that the kings knew was going on. It wasn't a secret. People at the time, they knew they were getting taken advantage of. But you couldn't do anything about it because, uh, you know, the tax collectors, because the king was backing it. He was saying, this is what is acceptable. You can do this. I don't, you know, tax collectors kind of do what they please. By the, by the time it was all said and done, they, they say many people were taxed on 80, 90% of what they made went right to either a tax collector or a king, combination of both of them. They were corrupt individuals. And so Jesus is eating with them. And in Jewish culture, eating with somebody is kind of an intimate thing that you would do. It, 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 almost, it almost communicated that you condoned the person, that you were, you know, in relationship with the person. And so Jesus sitting there eating with these sinners and tax collectors, the, the religious people of the day looked at it and said, what is he thinking? What is he doing? But all across scripture, these types of people were the ones that were attracted to Jesus. They were naturally drawn to him. They were like, there's something different. And they had seen other rabbis, you know, along the way and other teachings, and there are people that come along. But this guy, man, he was healing people. There was something, there's something different about him, and I want to get as close to him as I possibly can. And the question I ask myself when I read this parable, or there's many other places in scripture where you see Jesus attracted uh, people who are far from God to him, I want to ask are sinners attracted to me? Are people who are far from God attracted to me? Now, don't get me wrong. There's a balance here. And I know that I'm not Jesus Christ. And so there's certain boundaries and balances that I have to have in my life. But there's a big difference between 
who I'm influencing and who I'm influenced by, but am I going out and am I really influencing people who are far from God? You know, I, I, actually, when I was preparing the sermon, I looked through my cell phone and I was like, I'm just going to, who are the people that I know are Christ followers and who are the people that are not? And man, it, it really challenges me to say, I think I need to be rubbing shoulders with people who are far from God and Christians all the time, they'll, they'll be like, well, you don't want to be, you want to be in the world, but not of it. And you got to be careful. And I, I get all that. And that's why I'm saying there's a balance. I'm not here to define what that balance is for you, but man, sinners were attracted to Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I know that I'll never be ex- exactly like Jesus because it's just a whole different deal, but I want to be as close to him as possible. And sinners were attracted to Jesus Mark 2.17 says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. Jesus very much came for the people that were far from God. And he hung out with them and did life. And so the question I ask corporately is, at Life Church, are people who are far from God attracted to what's going on here at Life Church? There was a guy last night that, that um, you know, I was preaching this message and he came to me after service, said this is my first time here. He actually uh, had, had a Jewish background. He's like, I've never been to this type of church before. And he's like, what you're talking about, I'm, I'm that lost person and I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And I, right there, actually right between those two doors, I prayed with him. Um, he accepted Jesus into his life and, and began that relationship. I gave him a Bible, told him a few things, you know, have his name and number to kind of follow up with him. But man, that was such a confirming thing to me in this message that people who are far from God have no clue where to turn or where to go, that they're attracted to the things going on here at Life Church. Sinners were attracted to Jesus. And then he, Jesus goes into the parable a little bit and says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Sheep naturally get lost. That's the second thing I want to say today. Sheep naturally get lost. I don't know if you've ever known anyone that just has a knack for getting lost. Maybe you're that person, um, but you have a knack for, you just get lost all the time. My mom and dad are funny because they're complete polar opposites on a lot of issues. And when it comes to things like geography and getting lost, my dad is like an expert. I mean, he, not when it comes to getting lost, but when it comes to finding his way, he can go to any city. And this is something that seems, I, I don't know if it's, I'm this way, but he can go to a city that he's never been to before and he knows exactly where to go. He's like, oh yeah, this is how streets work and this is, you know, I, I have this internal compass. I know where I'm going and he can get anywhere. Right now, I think he could say, go drive to, you know, this restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky and he would, I mean, just like naturally, I don't know, instinctual type of a thing. My mom, it is not an instinct with her whatsoever. I mean, she gets lost a lot. And I'll never forget, Amanda, uh, before we were married, was driving with my mom to a wedding shower. And Amanda's pretty good with directions. And so my mom says, my instincts tell me that we should go north on this road. And this is the city that she lives in. So this isn't like new territory or whatever. She's like, my instincts tell me we should go north. So I'm going to go south. And Amanda was like, what? And thing was, she was right. She will oftentimes do the opposite of what she thinks she should do, and nine times out of ten, so anyway, whatever you got to do, but um, she just naturally, I mean, I don't think she has an internal compass. Uh, you know, I don't, 
you know, just the way streets work and all that, it just, it just does not correlate. And I talked to her before I said this, so mom, if you're watching online, sorry, but that's just the way it is. I tell it like it is. And, uh, and she would not deny that, but she just has a knack for getting lost. Jesus here is, is saying that that's how sheep are. And sheep in the natural, um, this is, you know, just anywhere you could read about this, sheep get lost naturally. They will literally eat their way into getting lost. They will just eat and eat and eat and eat and go all the way. And then they'll turn around. They don't know where they are. They don't know how they got there. They don't know which way is up, north, south, east, west, any. They don't know where they are at all. And oftentimes, sheep will get into trouble that way. You know, they'll, they'll come across lions or whatever. You know, in this context, they'll come across different things. They'll, they'll, they'll actually walk off of cliffs. Uh, they will actually just eat and eat and then just, boop, you know, right over the top. It's not like they're just sitting there thinking, my life as a sheep is just horrible, and I got all this wool, and it's hot, and I'm just, you know, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know why. They're just like, oh, and they'll just go right over the edge. They have no clue what they're doing, and these are the, this is what Jesus compares us to. Doesn't that make you feel good? But he's comparing, he's comparing a lost sheep to somebody who is spiritually lost, Somebody who is going without any direction. They don't know how they got there. They don't know why they got there. But little by little by little, and they kind of eat their way into just getting completely lost. And before they know it, they're right on the edge about to go over, and they don't even know that it's coming. This is what Jesus is comparing people who are spiritually lost. Sheep naturally get lost. And the thing is, when a sheep is lost, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. People who are spiritually lost, they don't know what to do. And there's people in this room. There's people at every service this weekend. Uh, There's two types of people in here. There's people that are not lost, and there's people who are lost. And there's uh, very much, I know that every service we do here at Life Church, there are people who are spiritually lost. They don't know how they got there. Maybe they, they know some decisions they made along the way, but they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. 51% of Americans are completely unchurched, completely unchurched. Of the 49% that are church, a lot of them, it's just you know, maybe twice a year, and a lot of them, it, it, they don't genuinely have that relationship with God. There's a lot of people in America that are lost, that are looking for something. And the, the, the crazy thing is there's this, this very exhaustive survey and study done about people who are unchurched. Of that 51% of people who are unchurched, 87% of them said in a survey that they would attend church if they were simply invited by a friend. Now, it has to be a friend, but somebody that they trust, they would attend church with them if they were simply invited. Almost 9 out of 10 people said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll check that out. People are a lot hungrier than we give them credit for. They're a lot more open to the things of God than we would even believe because they're sitting there on that ledge completely lost and they don't know what to do. They're looking for somebody to say, here's a lifeline. Here, you know, would you come with me? I can help you get back on track. I can help you get found. Now, we can't get somebody found. We can't save somebody, but we can bring them to place or we can talk to them or we can allow God to work in their hearts. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But sheep naturally get lost and they will never get found unless they get help unless somebody comes along and is able to help them. 
The third thing I notice about this parable is that the shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one. The shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one. It says, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? This is probably the coolest thing about God is that he will, he will leave everything else and say, I'm still looking for that one person. When I lost May, it wasn't this feeling of, I didn't go inside and say, Amanda, I'll tell you what, I lost May, but here's the good news. We still have Ben. He, he didn't get lost, and we still have May, or, or sorry, we still have Moses, uh, we still have a fish, and uh, we got, you know, we still got each other, we still got love, we still got all that, and it's all good, it's, it's going to be fine, and if she comes back, that'd be great, but and, and again, this would be an absolutely morbid and horrible thing to say to Amanda, but Jesus is the same way, he doesn't just say, Oh, you know, I, there's a billion people in the world that, that call themselves Christ followers. That's pretty good. That's not, you know, that, that, that's right up there with every other religion. That's, that's pretty good. He says, no, 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 there's four to five billion people that are not Christ followers. And yeah, that one percent or that one billion people, that's all well and fine and that's good. And I'm, I'm excited about that. But that's not what I'm here to do. They are found. Now I am looking for those who are lost, the shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one. And I'm just going to tell you at Life Church, that's our entire focus is to find the one. And there's people that will leave and have left Life Church because we're not as focused on the 99 as they would like us to be. And that's fine. There's, there's churches that might be a little bit more focused on the 99. That's all well and fine. But we are focused on the one. We're going to do our best to equip you, you know, equip the saints, that's what the word says, and to do our best in that area. But our energy, our focus, everything we do, what puts points on the board is people who are far from God that come into relationship with him. It's going after the one. There's people that have a problem with that. There's people that look at that and say, what about this? And what about that? And maybe you should take better care of this and blah, blah, blah. And what about this little group? And can we start this? And can we start that? And I'm here to say we're always looking to get better. We're always looking to improve and do the best we can and, and take care of the 99 as best that we can. But bottom line, we're looking for you to, to link arms in our, arm in arm with us and say we're going to go after the one together. And I'm just telling you, that is the focus. If you've been a part of Life Church for any amount of time, you've seen this. There, there's events we've done. Uh, Kids Fest is one we did last. We do every year um, on Halloween night. We, just, we do a full-blown kids outreach. We saw 900 people come on a Saturday night last year on Saturday night. It, it was incredible. And, and Freddie from iCarly was here, so it was kind of a fun thing. But he, man, he, he, he shot pretty straight and talked about his relationship with God, gave a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This fall, we're going to do the same thing. We're not having Freddie and all that. We're changing things up a little bit. Uh, but I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but we're having a Ferris wheel. We're having like a little trackless train. We're having hay rides. We're having a, a, a tilt-a-whirl. There's going to be kids puking everywhere. It is going to be, it's going to be a fun, good night. But the most important part of that entire night is that Pastor Kevin is going to get up and give a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we do that event. And, and, you can come, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, hey, the 99, don't even come to this, this is not for, this is for everyone to come, but the focus of that night 
is for the people that are far from God that come into a relationship with him or at least that there is a seed planted, that there is something that is started inside of them, that they begin a journey to become, uh, to become closer to God and that we can be a part on that journey. One night is a, is a deal we do with all of our, our high school, middle school students. This last year in February, we had 430 students in this room um, it only seats 400, so there were some obvious problems there, but they were good problems. At the end of the night, 70 people gave their life to Christ. 70 teenagers gave their, gave their life to Christ. That's incredible. That's why we did that night. Everything we do goes back to, man, who is the one? Uh, the 99, yeah, that's great, but who is the one that needs to become found? Last weekend, we had 20 people get up. I don't know if you were here, but it was, that was a great that was an awesome weekend. We had 25 people that were planning on getting baptized and got baptized, but then Pastor Aaron gave, gave just a, a, a little altar call saying, if you want to get baptized today, maybe you're far from God, you want to give your life to Christ and get baptized on the spot. And that was a gutsy thing for a lot of people to do, but 20 people got up, walked out of the back, came around, shared their story, gave their testimony. Many people were crying, got baptized, made that declaration uh, of, the, of, of the new life in Christ. That was, that, was, that was why we did that entire weekend. There were 850 people here, but those 20 people, that's why we did that service. You know, this fall, you're gonna see a lot of things that we do, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of the events that we do, a lot of the sermon series that we do. They're all built around finding that one person. From the style of service we do, there's some things that we do that I'm just gonna tell you they're not for the 99. There might be some things we do that you don't even necessarily jive with, but you're like, okay, if that's going to reach the one, I'll do it. I will jump on board with that. That's what we do at Life Church. So the question I ask is, how intentional are you personally about finding the one? That feeling that I had, and maybe if you're a parent that's lost a kid, you know exactly this feeling. You can kind of relive it right now. But that feeling that I had when I lost May that, spiritually speaking, man, that is the feeling that I should have constantly when it comes to looking for lost people. There should be an element of discontent and anxiety and urgency that I feel towards people who are lost. You might be saying, well, that doesn't sound like what I signed up for and the comfortable, you know, little Christian lifestyle that you live or whatever, and it's just all good and fine, and bunnies and rainbows and all sorts, you know, or whatever. No, it's not. It's not a comfortable lifestyle. Being a Christian is one of the hardest things that you could ever do, but it is so worth it because when you see that one become part of the 99 and to become found, it is completely worth it. I'm going to just tell you that, that last night, just seeing that guy who gave his life to Christ right in front of me, that, that made this entire, I mean, that was, that's what it's all about. It's about finding the one. The shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one. Real quick, you might be asking, well, what, what do I do? How do I apply this? How do I go about doing this? Ryan, I know there's people in my life that are far from God. I have relatives. I have coworkers. I have friends. I could, man, I could throw, I could look through my Facebook. I got like 300 friends that are far from God. But what, that's overwhelming. What do I do? Real simple. Um, this is something that I saw on um, what people do if you are in, have you ever seen an Amber Alert before? 
When a kid is lost, you know, your cable box will like shut down and they'll do a thing on there. You'll see road signs that will have like a flashing marquee of what's going on. There's a kid lost, they'll give the description, they'll give vehicle plates or whatever it is, whatever they can do to get the word out. Um, On the radio, you'll hear announcements about it. Um, And I've seen way too many that I like to see in the last uh, couple of years. But in an Amber Alert, they give you six things. They say, this is what you're supposed to do. If you lose a kid, do this. These are the steps that you should take. And I saw these steps. I was like, this completely applies to to somebody who is spiritually lost. I want to rattle through them uh, relatively quick. The first one they say is call out their name. Call out their name. For us, spiritually speaking, this is simply pray. You know, somebody who is spiritually lost that you know, maybe you, maybe you even want to make like a, a top five list or whatever you want to do of people that you have in your life that you are intentionally going after. Just begin to pray for them. Just begin to, you know, lift up their name in prayer. The second thing they say to do is to recruit others to help you. Recruit others to help you. Don't do it alone. We weren't meant to go through this life as Christ followers all by our lonesome, by ourselves. And a couple suggestions I would have for you Get in a life group. Uh, we're going to start up life groups again. You're going to see next weekend there's going to be a bunch of orange brochures um, all over in here. Get in a life group. There's um, somewhere between 32, 35 or so life groups this fall. Uh, they start October, run through December. You're going to get more information about them next week. But the whole month of September is dedicated to just signing up for a life group. Find one that fits you know, geographically, you know, uh, the time of day, the, the content of the group, something that resonates with you. There's groups for just ladies. There's groups for just guys. There's groups for married couples. There's groups for singles. There's, there's, there's groups for our kids. There's groups for our students. There's all sorts of different groups, but get in a group because what a group will do is there are people that can come alongside you and, first of all, can pray with you, you know, you might be saying, this is a person I'm lifting up. I believe is going to come to faith in Christ. I just want you to pray with me. There are people that can help give you advice. You know, especially, you know, the, the people who are leading those groups are people that, man, I put my full confidence and trust in to say, uh, how can you help those people? They are there to help you. They are here. They're, that's kind of like their little flock, you know, and they're the shepherd. They're, they're, they're there to take care of that group. They're there to give you advice, to encourage you, to pray with you, get in a life group. And another thing, as far as recruiting others, uh, invest and invite. This is something we do at Life Church. Uh, we invest in people and we invite them to church. Leverage Life Church to help you in, in, in helping find and helping somebody come to faith in Christ. Leverage Life Church. We do every weekend service is a weekend that we feel comfortable saying, hey, bring guests this weekend. Uh, you know, there might be special times where we make a, a big push because we're doing something or whatever that it might be an extra, you know, great service to bring a guest. But every weekend, we don't do a single weekend that we say, hey, this would be, a, this would be one. Don't, you know, don't bring guests. Bring a guest. Invite somebody. And, and I'm going to tell you what, we'll hold up our end of the bargain. I don't think um, you have to narrate the service for your friend. We want church to be a place where you don't have to, like, tell them, okay, this is what... So what this is, this is what this is going to happen. This is going to be a little weird, but you, you know, let me explain it to you. I'll tell you about that afterwards. And this person kind of acts up a little bit. And, this per- and, and, and just wait. And, okay, now, now we got uh, to do this or whatever. You don't have, we try it as best we can to make it as simple. And we're not perfect, but we try to make it as simple as possible. So somebody that comes in for the first time, it makes sense. They understand it. It's clearly articulated. Bring somebody. Inv- invest and invite. Allow us to help you. 
The third thing in an Amber Alert is start a base of operations. Start a base of operations. And spiritually speaking, to me, this is the local church. It's a place that you can come in, recharge, regroup, but get ready to go back out and search again. Kind of get your marching orders, get ready to go, but then to go back out. Too often I've seen churches that become a place where nobody ever leaves, not like literally, but nobody leaves the base of operations and they they like that comfortable, you know, hey, we we got great bagels. I know we don't serve bagels, but we got great bagels and and man, uh, we got these little manuals that you can read through and they tell you about how to find lost kids and, and, uh, you know, we have this... um, we have this, this worship band, and we, you know, they do an awesome job, and it's kind of fun, and we have this kids' area that my kids like going there. It's just a great little base of operations, but they're missing the point. That base is not there just to hang out and have a good time. It's there so that you can go out, and you can search outside of these walls. So start a base of operations. Fourth thing they say is search out watering holes. Which to me, this is just, uh, I mean, they say search out watering holes because those are some of the most dangerous places that a kid can go, rivers, lakes, whatever. Those are dangerous places for kids. So you want to check the dangerous places first. As a, as a Christ follower, I'm just going to tell you, people who are far from God, they might not be in the safest place. And I'm not necessarily talking literally about um, a location, although sometimes, yes, but it might not be the most comfortable thing all the time. It might not always be nice and neat. It might be difficult at times, but get out of your comfort zone. Stretch yourself. The fifth thing they say in an Amber Alert is trust the experts. Trust the experts. I don't know if you've ever seen an episode of like Cops. It's a horrible example, but there's a few other reality shows like it. There's one, there's a new one I saw, saw called I think it's Real Police Women of Memphis, if you've ever seen that. They just have all these sorts of shows, but what will happen in those shows, you'll see um, these people that are just freaking out about something. They're just carrying on. They're saying, this, this went wrong, and this person did this, and, and they're just freaking out. And you see a cop that's there just with, like, a pad of paper, and they're just real calmly taking notes. Okay, got it. Okay, calm down, sir. Calm down. Back away. We got this. We do this for a living. It's going to be okay. We will figure this out. And they're like, well, you don't understand. This person's over here, and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, just hold on. I can't do anything about that right now. Just trust me. We will figure this out. I've done this a million times. Trust me. In our, in our context, as far as somebody who's spiritually lost, it's just simply trust God. Trust God. He, he's done this a million times. He's seen so many people that were lost become found. It's not even funny. He knows how it works, and he knows every single lost person. He knows every single, the number of hairs on their head, the Bible says. He, he created them in their mother's womb. He knows them inside and out. He knows everything about them. Just trust God. Trust God that he will help you along the way, but trust the experts. And the last thing they say in an Amber Alert is stay positive and hopeful. Stay positive and hopeful. And this one's real simple. Um, when you're somebody who's spiritually lost, uh, don't give up. Maybe you're a parent that you have a kid who is far from God. Don't give up. I'm just going to encourage you. Uh, you know, the story of the prodigal son, which is, uh, you know, the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. is just a little bit further down in, in Luke chapter 15. I'm just going to tell you, it got, it got worse before it got better. Uh, and I, he, the kid had to hit rock bottom before he came back to his father. I'm just going to encourage you, and this might not be encouraging to you, but I'm just going to tell you, it might get worse before it gets better. Somebody might get further away from God before they turn around, but stay positive, stay hopeful, don't give up, never give up.
last thing I want to tell you today is um, I just want to share a story with you to kind of wrap this thing up. But there was a, a, a kid, his name was Nathan. He was one of my friends growing up. And um, it's, it's always interesting to look at your friends when you were little and your friends when you were in high school and how it changes and morphs. And there's some kids that just go, I can't believe I was friends with that kid or whatever. But um, I was friends with this, this kid and we, were, uh, we, we lived close together. We played basketball together and there's a bunch of other kids. We were kind of, you know, had this little neighborhood group type of a thing. Um, and, and we just had a good time together. Well, he, um, in about fourth, fifth, uh, somewhere right in there, maybe even sixth grade, he started to just real go, really go down, just not a good path at all. I mean, he, he started experimenting with alcohol and drugs. I mean, this is like a fifth grader, you know, just kind of going down this direction. Not a good situation. And in, after sixth grade, I, well, in sixth grade, I kind of started getting disconnected from him a little bit, you know, like, yeah, that's just not not for me, and um, I moved away later on to a different state completely, and I, I uh, never kept track of him, you know, I didn't have Facebook or the Zach Morris cell phone or whatever, if you guys know what I'm talking about, the huge cell phone, you know, blast from the past, but I didn't have a cell, I, now this, I didn't keep track of the kid at all, never really went back, um, you know, didn't have any family in that town, so there's just no reason to go back, and um, uh, when I was 20, I was at North Central University in Minneapolis, which is the college I went to. It's, it's a Bible college. Um, it's just to train ministers. It's kind of the main, main focus of that university. And uh, I was there, and they had this thing called College Days. You've probably seen before at different colleges where just juniors and, and seniors in high school would come visit and just check things out. They'd stay with you in the dorm rooms and we'd usually do some pranks involving hot sauce, but that's a different story. But uh, it was just it's just fun stuff. It was, it was a good time, but we, we genuinely, you know, got to bond with these kids and tell them what it's like and, and uh, kind of uh, show them around a little bit. And so college days was going on. So I'm, I'm out, you know, out and about throughout our um, floor and kind of looking at, you know, who are all the kids that are here? Do I know anyone or whatever? I go into one of my friend's rooms and there's this kid sitting there and I'm just like, oh, you know, good. He says his name is Nathan. I shake his hand or whatever. I'm like, good to meet you or whatever. And we start talking a little bit and it dawns on me. I'm like, this is that kid. This is that kid. And I said, are you Nathan? And I said his last name, and he said, yeah. And, and he, he's like, are you Ryan Coggins? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, this is really, really weird. I haven't seen you in like eight years. And, and then my mind starts, I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, that, that was kind of my, I didn't say that outright like that, but I began asking some questions. He's like, I know what you're thinking. I know, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I know you probably have some questions. And so we started talking, and he began to just tell me a story. And he told me, man, uh, he told me all the good, bad, and the ugly, that he just, it got, it got much worse. He, he was having run-ins with the law. He was having, um, he, he got expelled from school. He was, you know, hard drugs, alcohol, the whole thing. He was going down. I mean, he was, he was this close to dying a couple times. He was, you know, this, this close to going to jail a few times. And he was just, I mean, he was pretty messed up. And he said there was this girl that he was interested in in high school. And she wouldn't give him the time of day because she was a Christian. And she was just like, I mean, she was nice to him and everything, but she was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm not actually going to be interested in you. You're, you're, you're kind of, you got some issues. And, and, um, and pretty soon she was just like, well, I'll tell you what, if you come to church with me, we'll talk. You know, come to church with me. Uh, but before you do that, I just, I'm, I'm not interested at all. Which I don't know if this is the best strategy or not, but this is what she did. And I, I know the girl. She actually went to North Central. But um, 
She said, come to church with me. Well, finally, he, he was just like, fine, I'll go, whatever. How, how bad can it be? And he went to church. I don't know what the, the message was, what the sermon was, but he, man, he radically got saved, gave his life to Christ right there, crying at the altar, the whole thing. Shortly after that, felt a calling into ministry. I mean, this is like a 180, uh, you know, Saul on the way to Damascus, you know, gets struck down and, and completely does a 180, felt a calling into ministry. So he's like, that's why I'm here, actually. I, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what to do. But God uh, has, has basically told me I need to start this ministry. He had this vision for this ministry about, it was kind of like a fellowship of Christian athletes. He was a phenomenal athlete, never got a chance to play because he got, uh, you know, he got kicked out of basically every sport he was ever in uh, for issues, you know, grades and alcohol and drugs, the whole thing. And so he wanted to start this ministry to help athletes you know, come to faith in Jesus Christ. That was his whole mission. And he was like, that's what I'm here to do. And so he ended up not actually going to North Central. He went to a different university, graduated the whole thing, right now has a, has a ministry in Oklahoma that is kind of like a fellowship of Christian athletes. I, I don't know the exact name of it, but uh, does a phenomenal job. Started the whole thing himself and is reaching people for Jesus Christ. I'm just gonna tell you, that man, there are some people that are lost and don't know where to go, but if, if something will click, if somebody will extend a hand, if somebody will just give them a chance that they are right there ready to do a complete 180 and come to Christ and to do some incredible things for Jesus. See, sometimes I, I've, what I've seen, and scripture will back this up just with Paul, um, some of the story you know, in, the, in the Bible, is that the people who seem to be the furthest from God are the people, some of the people that have the most potential for him to take that energy that they were going in this direction and to turn it towards the other direction and do some incredible things for Jesus Christ. It is absolutely phenomenal to see that happen. As we wrap up, I just want to tell you, man, who are the people that you're going after? Who are the lost sheep? Who are the people that are far from God that you're really rubbing shoulders with day to day and looking to see if they will come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're praying for them and you're believing that one day they will do that. Would you bow your heads with me as we close?